Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Farhad Eftehari. He is the CEO of Tech Class. He's a university teacher who's taught over 15,000 students in the last five years. He's a multi-award winner, and he's an entrepreneur, and he's also a developer. So he's got a very eclectic view on a number of topics that I'm particularly interested in. Farhad, welcome. Thanks, Marcus. It's very nice to be here. Uh, Such a great opportunity. I followed your podcast, but before that, I got to uh, find your audiobook, and I learned amazing a lot of stuff from that, especially uh, as we were talking earlier. It really helped me to design for the first time my company, Channel Partner Network, and then that was a very great initiative and a start. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thanks for the invitation. It's an absolute delight. And if there are any other uh, people among the 12 people who've read my book, then please do feel free to uh, invite yourself onto the podcast. So, Fahad, a lot of people forget what it was like to be a student. Remind them. That's a very good question. Actually, that's what we, how we started back in my own uh, teaching career, because I happen to have in the classroom amazing teachers, like uh, teachers that I felt so passionate about. And for, the re- for this same reason, I pushed much harder, even to the topics that I didn't really felt comfortable about and didn't really find passion. But because of that, I, I found more passion in that. And on the other side, I happened to have a few of not so good teachers, and I totally lost my passion and motivation to really learn. And you can also see with some of the grades I used to have. So it's really important in, that you feel yourself in their shoes, that how they actually students are needing assistance it's not just about you teach those content it's about making them comfortable that they get connect to you Uh, and it comes from different angles it's not just about like i said the topics you learn it's from the personality it's from the out being authentic in the classroom caring for them and i learned a lot from many of the teachers Uh, i learned from my great teachers i I'm also really happy to have some very bad teachers that don't just do what they did. And I believe that's a good thing to see both sides and then see how amazing you could be if you follow some directions and how uh, unauthentic and dumb you could be if you go to other directions in any field, not just teaching, being a salesperson, anything. I'm really curious to understand what is it like to be a great teacher? Hmm. That's a very good question. I could there could be like millions of books read, written about that because of course expectations could be different, fields are different, and personality types are different. But uh, one thing I can talk about is to truly care for the students. I, I hate it when I see some organizations, some entities see students as money making machines, ATMs. That that's horrible. As students are more than that. When you talk about the impact that you can have on people's life, that's something that you cannot really compare. And I'm not just saying in words. If you really be able to deliver what is actually suitable for the students and what they're passionate about, you are guaranteed to have a fruitful, amazing business as well. So if you want to be a teacher, try to, first of all, uh, make sure that you truly care. You truly care to put the extra effort 
other than the scope that actually you promised and you're getting paid for. And then uh, doors will get to be open for you. That I can tell in just one statement. I think it goes a fair bit deeper than that, though, isn't it? Because um, for a student to respond well, you need to be able to find their motivation to create a moment of engagement. And um, if I look back at the best teachers that I had, they gave us so much rope to hang ourselves, but they gave us just enough information to work it out for ourselves. And I look at those qualities in managers. They happily give back the pen the moment they've given just enough information to get people back on track. They can scrape their way to the answer on their own because then they own it. Um, And empowering people, enriching their experience of learning. So um, it feeds the hunger, which makes them hungrier to learn. So That's true. So who was the best teacher you ever had and what made you stand out? I cannot really think about one person. And as I said, it's the collections of many teachers that create a character for me that I try to follow for myself as well. And you said it right. Yeah, there is uh, nothing right about you teach the students in a way that they always need you. You need to actually teach them ways that they can survive on their own. And that's what we actually try to do, to try practical content, right? To deliver something that can actually pursue, the students can pursue their career in those industries that actually they are working for. It's not about bringing like 10 books about anything and hey, this is the content you need to learn. No, you need to teach them something very brief, as you said, very get to the point. And then they see the next steps done by their own. Give them insights, give them ability to look around and find their way out. So when I think about my great teachers, uh, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to have both of the categories. And it's not just the black and white concepts. You may be a great teacher one day and some other days you're just bad. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So help me understand this. You've put together a learning management system, an LMS. Explain to people what an LMS is, first of all. It's your assistant in a way that you don't always necessarily need to be there to communicate and to deliver. So an LMS in simple terms help you to automate stuff and help you to make the learning process more engaging for the students. So that's the power of LMS. And they are keep getting smarter just like any other industry. But I believe they still need to push harder and push more. And one of the factors is that usually uh, education systems are a bit not so welcoming like changes around. So, But the students are. Generations are changing. Their uh, expectations are different. The way they learn is different. So they need to also catch up in order to provide uh, better and more accurate services desirable for those students. Okay, and you've built yours based on the Finnish education system. Can you explain a little bit about why you selected the Finnish education system rather than anyone else's? That's a good question. I came to Finland in 2013 to study, and I was very fortunate that with 
I become, I happened to have a chance to teach one intensive week course in 2015. I loved the experience. My students delivered me amazing feedback. It was for the first time that I was actually teaching something and I just did it for fun. And then I continued doing that. And I, I happened to have a students in these uh, collaborations with my universities in Finland. And uh, I, I built my solutions around that. So that's the reason that actually my solutions has been developed for Finnish education system. But now we are keep uh, going further in the distance wise in the globe and uh, try to collaborate with other international entities as well. Okay. So you're building a business. It's in the education space, which is notorious for um, having to deal with bureaucracy and slow process. And that can mean the uh, cost of your sales process goes up, more touches, more people in the committees and so on. Why did you decide that you were going to go down the routes of the partner or channel route? That's actually a very good question because we are really interested to provide the service and develop something that is actually very practical and lovable by the students. And we had a hard time initiating businesses with new entities. So in that way, we learned in many hard ways that in education system, you need to have the connections. You need to know people around, decision makers, project managers, in order for your message to be heard much clearer and direct. So in that way, we try to turn the table rather than finding them directly uh, and initiating a trust and this kind of a stuff. We, through channel partner network, we try to bring people in our group and then send them out there and then they engage in businesses that they have already a connection, that they already have trust. And that actually significantly helps us. And now we have channel partner around the world, uh, very good connections with some universities, educational organizations. And, And like I said, when I started, Designing this channel partner network, I, I happen to hear your audiobook as the first source to uh, increase my knowledge in that area. Me coming from a fully technical person, and then ha- happen to learn a lot. Great initiatives, great points that I uh, wrote down. I even delivered to my team uh, as a two-page uh, brief <laughs> points. And then followed with other books and other stuff. And I, we designed this channel partner network. And it still needs maintenance. It still needs feedback loops. And every round, we try to recruit people. We also try to improve the concepts. That's wonderful to hear. Tell me something. What are you doing around strategic alliances rather than channel partners? Uh, you basically mean the partnerships that we can build around. Yeah, people who maybe sell adjacent technologies or related and complementary All right. All right. Well, we call it the technology. We have several partnership programs. One of them is actually technology partner program. We have companies like Microsoft, Tableau, Shopify, actually in that group as well. Business is all about partnerships and collaboration. So it's all about trying to, just like many other fields, like when you're in a relationship, when you're like, starting some sort of a marriage or something or some friendships. It's all about making things more complete, making businesses also more complete through this kind of collaborations and partnerships. Actually, I know that you're also 
working on this new book that actually in, in those fields, I happen to follow your many of your podcasts, uh, your Twitter account, LinkedIn. So th- this is as, as important as the main business itself. It's now with this uh, concept of try to connect to other entities, try to bring more value to the other entities. And then through that, also they bring value to your side. So uh, it's like a whole machine that uh, has different entities and components and then all of them are following the same vision so you can in an on and off situation also through these partnerships bring the value to the end users whether they are your customers clients or whatever i think to take build on that because that's a brilliant point is that you can now become an innovation pipeline because Mm -hmm. the problems that your clients or your customers or your students are facing are typically complex they're interdependent and they, they're happening in parallel. These are wicked problems and they need wicked solutions. And one vendor can be the Trojan horse or the, uh, the sharp end of the spear, but it has no weight unless it's got the shaft behind it. The two work together. And this is where I think as either vendors or as resellers, our value will be enhanced dramatically by the quality of the ecosystem we build around us in adjacent and related um, technologies and services. So I think that's going to be a very, very interesting uh, development. Actually, very interesting uh, topics you brought up. One of the things that we aim for the first day in the design of our channel partner network is that this is not just a channel that we deliver tech class services, our own services. It's more about creating highways. And then consider every channel partner as a truck <laughs> that can be loaded by even the connected entities to them. And that I believe that's the main goal of every channel partner network, that you don't just see it as a one dimension. See, with every partner that comes to the game, there is a whole different dimension getting added to that. So we are trying to build a network that, of course, at first, we need to bring value to the partners in order to get in. But more, it's about in the next steps that we create a comfortable environment that they bring the services, they bring the partners, and everyone in the ecosystem that we created try to be connected together. In simple terms, it sounds very simple, but if you try to find value, not just for your company, but for others, and in many ways, actually, I, I love to hear in your books about it's about them, not about us. Design something that works for them rather than what's the best deal for yourself. This is really interesting. Uh, next week, um, I'm launching the Black Pearl. So it's my pirate ship in the strategic alliances world. And what's really interesting is one of the first themes we're going to be tackling is who can you co-sell with? If you go to market in parallel or in collaboration with someone else or several someone else's, how much more value can you bring when you unite those different solutions and you bring them to a client who's clearly suffering from these wicked problems in parallel? And all of a sudden, you can start pointing them at maybe three to five of these really big, gnarly, difficult challenges. And you solve them together. That's really exciting. Exactly, exactly. This is a very nice out uh, scope that actually you're talking about. Even we 
follow the same somehow concept inside of the organization, especially in this year. We were the company that tend to develop everything on our own. We we love, we just love to develop. And the, the, when you see the ratio of the engineers and the technical people into other departments, you could really see that. But this year, especially, we really learned about creating nice integrations into even into our system rather than develop everything from the ground zero. So that's what you brought from the outside the scope of the whole collaborations is it's a very valuable thing. But we had this experience. We learned it in a hard way, even inside the organizations, that it's not just the apocalypse hasn't happened yet. So you can actually connect to other entities. You can connect to other people. You can find shared ground uh, to actually coexist and collaborate together and win. (laughs) Well, this is a really interesting concept because... I was speaking to uh, another guest a a couple of weeks back, and uh, she talked about creating these things called pre-competitive alliances. A lot of the drug companies came together um, when COVID kicked off to co-develop a product. Now, in your world, in my world, then there are opportunities for us to make the pie bigger instead of trying to take a bigger slice of a shrinking pie. And I think based on the kind of values that the millennials and the next uh, generation have, I think that type of collaborative endeavor is more likely to happen than it was in the past. And I'm really curious to see what fruits that is likely to bear. And do you have any plans in that arena? A very interesting discussion, actually. And uh, the more we actually move forward, the more important this concept is because everything is becoming more advanced and more technical and the value is not, is keep becoming in details. So when we are talking about in details and when we are talking about an organization working in many factors, nowadays it's very important to bring that value in the details. It used to be an era that one scientist, I know this old scientist from uh, Iran, Ibn Sina, that he was an expert in astronomy, in physics, in maths, anything that you can imagine. But nowadays, you don't see such people. You need to be an expert in one field and one field alone and go as deep as you can. I think from a company perspective, yes, but from a team perspective, no. My experience is that the more diverse the team is, And the more diverse eyes you have on a problem, the more elegant and effective and sustainable the solution in the end. It's where we live in an echo chamber. We hire in our own image, uh, where we listen to people who've got the same education as us, the same ethnic backgrounds, same socioeconomic, um, whatever. And as a result, we end up uh, very blind, uh, blinkered. So we've got tunnel vision. And certainly in my experience, and with all the companies I'm working with, I'm definitely driving or encouraging range um, within the team, but also in terms of who you outsource to and who you partner with, because that diversity of opinion and perspective gives you a full picture. You don't just get the black and white two-dimensional version. Exactly, exactly. And that that was actually my follow-up point, that then when we get get back to the dimension you were talking about, these aliens, so... 
these uh, details that you bring to the picture and then you bring a more complete value to the end users or uh, the buyers or whoever they are, then that justifies these collaborations because it, it's about these different technical stuff, these different abilities uh, to, to bring a more complete product or solution to the a table and these collaborations, these partnerships, is actually an amazing way to tackle that. Well, I, I think it starts getting really very, very interesting when we start looking at how do we create mutually assured success, particularly where we have um, a the customer, the partner, and the vendor or the seller. How do we create safety for all three? How do we build an environment where loyalty and trust exist between all three entities and the people within it? Because if you can create that kind of collaboration, then you can start to do some really, really interesting stuff because you can point your partner's resources, your resources, and the customer's resources at their most difficult problems. And I think what's going to be really interesting as an offshoot from LMS is the growth of collaborative platforms where you can create war rooms, for example. So all three teams can apply themselves to the customer's problem and co-develop solutions together and learn from one another. That's what I'm That is true. And uh, when it comes to such partnerships, when, when we are talking about the business scope, I believe the initial plan should be about how we actually, as you said, about making the pie bigger rather than how we can internally strategize in a way that my company or my side of the cake is bigger. Then that collaboration is not going to be a long lasting. That's going to be a bit, maybe little scope and then the delivery of that is going to be much shorter rather than we create a system and design a system that is actually bringing more value to all. Of course, it's very simple to say and very, very difficult to actually operate in that way, but needs to be a lot of communications, fine tunings, feedback sessions, and this kind of stuff. Well, I think some of this is down to the language that we use. The language in marketing and in sales is very key centric and it tends to be very aggressive you know lots of war analogies that kind of thing when we come to learning and this is a really interesting point and again i'd love to get your take on this companies talk about training teachers talk about teaching uh, or educational authorities talk about teaching and uh, qualification but i think fundamentally we miss a really important point we need to enable people and they need to love to learn And until we change the language and we let go of things like Ebbinghaus, because, you know, most learning and development teams and HR departments are fixated on retention after training. I don't care how much they remember. I care how much they apply. And does it it does it actually positively affect the outcome of their performance? That's why I spend money on training, not so that they can remember stuff. The remembering is the table stakes. So how how do we shift thinking so that people focus on the real value of learning, of education, of training, of coaching, of development, instead of fixating on all the stuff that doesn't mean a damn thing? 
That's actually a very uh, interesting concept you brought about uh, it's being very he-oriented concepts in the marketing sites. I totally agree. And uh, when you see the countries who are actually prospering, uh, like leveling up through the years, especially in the modern area, they are more the countries that the gender equality is also much higher in those uh, regions and countries. And uh, that's actually a very important concept. When you see your population as the tool that can actually help you and improve everything uh, in the industries. When we come to these marketing concepts, I, I totally agree with you. Even in the teaching sector, and what we make the learning more enjoyable for the students is that we don't just create one persona. We try to include as persona as possible with different needs, with different genders, with different expectations. And especially in online education, you need to create some sort of a dynamic system in order to bring this education material or learning material to the end user. So the better this function works, the better this uh, system and machine works, the more uh, successful guarantee in, around the way. This, I think, speaks certainly to in the area of adult education and business learning. I think we have to, uh, as trainers, as deliverers, uh, as uh, commissioners, of these uh, solutions, I think we've got to take a lot more responsibility in terms of thinking about why we're doing it and how we intend for people to implement it afterwards. Um, because little or no thought is given to that. I mean, they, they fixate on completion rates and retention rates. Our online learning, the gold standard is 3%. So spending money that way doesn't work. Having people sit in a classroom where 90% of what they've forgotten is or been taught is forgotten inside of a month, um, that's a problem. Because I think the real problem is we're focusing on the wrong end of the problem, which is the students. I think what we should be doing is focusing on teachers and managers and enabling them to empower their students, their reports, to be more self-sufficient. That's why I was really curious about the Finnish education system, because I know it tends to be more play-orientated, more um, Socratic, uh, and they're taught to question and find their own boundaries and limits uh, rather than having walls imposed on them. But I'm curious your thoughts on that. That's actually interesting insight, and that's totally true. Uh, in Finnish education system, especially in my field that I can see in higher education, they are actually trainings, uh, pedagogy uh, degrees, diplomas. I'm actually in the middle of uh, finishing one of them uh, in Hump, Hump Applied Science University. So they try to facilitate and equip teachers and lecturers by teaching them more about be more engaging in the learning environment, be more engaging with your students, understanding them. Even go a bit further about understanding how people actually learn, how they can be more passionate about different systems, uh, the pros and cons of different education systems, researching more about this area. And as exactly you said, it's not just about bombarding the students with the content for the hope that it's actually going to be helpful for them. In tech class also, we try to 
make the content as efficient as possible, as small as possible, as brief as possible, but practical, something that people can actually really do in the work environment, pursue their career in the related industries and these kind of approaches. What's really interesting about this is if you really focus on understanding the upstream cause or causes of low learner rates, poor performance at the qualification stage, low retention rates. I mean, I did a four-year degree in Middle Eastern studies. And frankly, I think I got through because I bribed the lecturers with a meal every, uh, every term. And uh, they found my oral exams hilarious because of how I screwed up. I once told them that I wanted to go up the Nile on a sailor when I was trying to tell them I meant to go up the Nile on a boat as part of my oral exam. So there were a lot of guffaws at that one. Anyway, my point being that um, managers, like teachers, I suspect, have on average 16 to 20 moments a day where someone who reports to them comes to them and say, Farhad, I have a problem with this. Can you help? And there is a moment where the manager has a choice. Is this a moment where I should give an answer or would they benefit? from me asking an insightful, challenging, provocative question. Now, I think one of the areas that the education system desperately needs to uh, evolve is teaching people how to ask insightful, challenging, provocative questions in a way that doesn't offend. And then to listen. Now, skills as managers and in life, I don't, don't think you can find two skills more useful. So I'm really curious how much of the uh, work that's being done in the education field is around getting teachers to ask more effective, more provocative, more insightful questions and teach that skill to students. That's actually a very interesting uh, discussion. Uh, we all know generation gap is keep getting further and further. And that makes the job of the teachers even more challenging because we all hear it in the movies. And now I'm rewatching Mad Men series and it's about 1960s. And even back then, you see people are nagging about nowadays children are so different. Uh, it, it's been always since the first generation. Time, yeah. 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 Exactly. So that, that's the thing that uh, I totally agree that uh, understanding the different mindsets of the students, different needs. Uh, dif we are living in a different era. The world is not even the same as three years ago, I can say. I'm not saying 30 or 10, three years ago. So when you are a teacher in such a classroom, especially having different generations as your audiences, it could also make the whole game even more challenging. It's very important to understand that generation needs, or how they learn, how they feel comfortable to be into this environment. So I totally agree that understanding their needs, uh, applying and asking, as you say, the right questions is uh, a very critical point to somehow assure more success in the field that you're in and be more authentic, Be try, try to have a better engagement with your students. And they then, at the end, as a result, happen to learn more from you. 
Excellent. Okay. I, I'm really curious about how you see ed tech, so educational technology, evolving over the next couple of years. Because obviously with the arrival of some very clever AI training programs like secondnature.ai and so on, mobile practice, and really uh, very interesting stuff coming onto the market. I'm curious how you see the learning space uh, evolving. That's a very good question. In 2018, actually, I remember that I uh, represented my very first paper in Inted Conference in Valencia, Spain. And back then, you were also talking about uh, the title was How to Progress from an e-learning portal into a smart online learning community. And we introduced the term community first. And it means that we try to focus on developing something that enable the community of students to get connected together. They learn from each other. Don't make the classrooms as a one or two way uh, communication channel between a student and the teacher. We all remember when we were back in the classes, uh, we, we learned a big portion of the stuff from our own classmates, from the questions they were asking. You happen to hear the same answers to the same questions, and then you also learn the stuff. It was not just about how what the teacher is delivering to you uh, in the study sessions, group assignments, this kind of stuff. So we were talking about that, and uh, COVID did a big favor uh, making the digitalizations more acceptable by the education organizations. The question is not whether it's good or bad. Everyone nowadays knows that uh, digitalization is the proper way. Now, we need to make things more efficient, more accessible uh, for the people and the students. So from now on, it's more about facilitating AI, facilitating data science, gathering data, understanding deeper needs, and then bring more value to the students. So, and then there are like more actors on the way. Hopefully, there are more people with more eagerness try to contribute in these fields because they see that the old traditional way is not working anymore and there need to be initiatives of new innovations uh, to increase the like engagement rates of the students, making them more involved and uh, bring more to the whole picture. So there are many angles that it could be and it's required to have uh, more progress in those fields. And I'm happy with the news I hear. Every year, there are like newcomers to the industries. Even all the uh, organizations are now defining lots of new projects, education systems who happen to be branded as old fashions are now actually trying to catch up with the uh, more pace uh, in order to be more engaging, in order to be more accessible to their audiences. Very interesting. Okay. So if we're looking into our crystal ball, what does the education technology space need to do to be prepared for what's coming? Very interesting question. Uh, of course, when we see it from different angles, from different players, uh, then you see different point of views. What I can see is more prone, more, more eager for collaborations because uh, education system has come a long way being in a, a bit more isolated, traditional way of doing things rather than industries to actually be more modern 
when you see a classroom, even nowadays, there's so much, a big uh, percentage of similarities than what it used to be a thousand years ago. World is a different place. You don't uh, book a taxi that I used to do five years ago, 10 years ago. You don't book hotel rooms like you did that. You don't play, listen to music. You don't watch movies as you were even like 10 years ago. So why organizations are more still sticking to traditional that is actually more common to 100 years ago. So that's something that the new generations are actually challenging them more and more because they know how they are comfortable to learn. They are like how comfortable to be more engaging. So in that way, they need to be, first of all, more prone to collaborations, uh, partnerships, bring more value through such partnerships to their end users. They also need to see the students more about the impact that they can bring to them and to the societies rather than seeing them as just uh, clients and customers. This is what we actually try to do in tech class. We deliver always much, much more to the stuff that we promise when it comes to pinning down contracts. And we feel so passionate about that because the more impact that you have, the more value to bring to the partner, to the business, to the students, then your success is going to be guaranteed in a much, much bigger scale. So that I believe, and I'm very happy to see when it comes to new initiatives from education organizations, the governmental funds and this kind of stuff, I'm very more satisfied to see comparing to years before, I can say. Okay, so we're looking back to when you were 23. What advice would you give the idiot Farhad at 23 years old that you know he would have ignored? (laughs) That's a very interesting, actually, discussion. So there could be many of them. I can... uh, (laughs) We we only have about an hour. Well, uh, well, the the first one would be definitely try to have more maybe sales and marketing friends. Having a very nice, amazing uh, friends, and many of them are actually technical and engineers people. And I learned a lot uh, through such friendships in personal terms, work-wise and this kind of stuff. So by being more connected to sales and marketing people, I'm actually going to share more like these kind of dimensions to learn further from them and apply that in my work, apply that in my even personal life. So that would be something. And definitely understanding the concept of MVP in a proper way. Don't just go so deep with something you felt so passionate about. Just because you love it, it doesn't mean that the whole world (laughs) got to share the same passion. For those of you who are not familiar with the term MVP, it means minimum viable product. Um, just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean it is. I think yeah, that's a hard uh, key bit of advice there. Okay. What are you wrestling with at the moment? What are you struggling with? Well, a lot of stuff, of, of course, because we, we are the entity that we are so, in a brave way, we put ourselves out there and we face the challenges in many ways, many angles. With a very reasonable amount of resources. Uh, So in that scenario, you happen to confront many areas, which you're not really that expert, but you're having the willingness and eagerness to just 
go deeper and higher and higher. So uh, lots of stuff I'm, I'm facing challenges with. Uh, of course, on the personal level, lots of area I need to be involved uh, and lots of dedications. Uh, I need to boost up my morale almost every day. Uh, we hit the closed doors too often. <laughs> I can say in the sector we are operating, it's more about also the connections, knowing people, this kind of a stuff. So it's a very uh, hard uh, industry, but we are so passionate about it. And of course, in the in business itself also, try to make it more balanced, uh, not just be over comfortable about, because we have the passion to progress. And sometimes we just forget about the beauty and the necessity of making things in a balanced way rather than unbalanced and have something so advanced and the other stuff uh, basic and catching up with the whole concept. So that I can tell to myself. Very interesting. Okay. So what are you, what are you planning to do about those then? Well, Try to make our ears uh, work more than actually our mouth, I can say. <laughs> so we are, we are now open to put things a bit faster out there, try to test them out, try to receive more feedback, uh, have more engaging communications, uh, go to the field more often. Uh, and try to have uh, like uh, retro perspectives in a uh, shorter way and then try to be more agile. So that was actually one of the key factors that we were being more successful over the years. Sometimes it also makes me hard to believe how much we've progressed in the last six months, in the last month. And we need to maintain this behavior uh, because now we are facing much, much larger challenges comparing to maybe a year ago, two years ago with, with such mindset and attitude. It's really interesting, but I, I think, I mean, there, there is a simple solution to your first point, which is start with the question, who? Hmm. Who is already doing this? Who's already overcome this or who's already faced this challenge? And start with that as your first question. But it does mean having to let go of the, uh, we love to develop, um, not invented here kind of mentality. So are you willing to let go? That's actually a very good concept you brought up. I always say that you don't need to invent fire in order to have a successful business. So there are many great examples that it's being done in any industry. I'm talking about my own field. Amazing companies, amazing like projects, uh, university approaches has been already done. And uh, we just need to somehow bring them in our own uh, dimension and then build around that. Whether we engage in a direct partnerships with such entities or we try to learn from their business model, uh, from their years of actually experiences. We don't need to redo all the mistakes and we don't need to learn from all of them, even with our own selves. Like, let's face it, when you hear some notable people talk, older people in the industries, the only, in my opinion, the only reason that you can engage with them and they, they seem authentic is because they happen to make so many mistakes. They know the game. They know the blind spots. They know 
in which area actually you can really do pretty bad. And they did. And don't get afraid from that. You just put ourselves there and try to do. Uh, I remember the first projects I was uh, pushing out, I had so much doubts. Is the database going to collapse or it's going to be fine? Uh, what if I have millions of users? Well, you don't have now 10. <laughs> Why are you over <laughs> stressing out about like the future problems? So getting yourself out, try to learn from others and try to learn from others' mistakes is the best recipe that you can have either when you start a business or we try to expand your business. No question. I mean, I've never learned anything of any real lasting value from my victories. My victories are the sum total of a lot of really monstrously stupid, self-inflicted mistakes. And eventually, after having beaten my head against the wall and blamed the wall for my headache, eventually I learn. Okay, so help me understand this then. It's three years from now, and you're looking back to, to now. What's the business you intend to become? For us, well, we never celebrated based on the financial progress. I'm telling it in a very honest way. To, yeah. be on, to be fair, sometimes I don't feel I'm a right CEO to run the company because I, I'm not running by numbers. I'm not running by uh, this kind of financial progress. It, for us, it's more about the impact we bring, the number of the users, the students come on site. The completion ratio is something we aim for. So what I can see in three years is that the more we move forward, the more interesting infrastructures we have that enable us to go further, bring more ideas, bring more people on board. So I really hope that this motivation lives on personally and in the company section. And to me, I always celebrated by reaching out to one goal by designing the next step. Because for me, the passion is about the path and journey that we are having rather than achieving something. When you achieve something, it may not be as good as you imagined and dreamed. But when you are actually a struggle and when you are like progressing and when you see that actually you are facing the challenges, you are making things work and getting closer to what you're imagining, that, that's the beauty of it. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's uh, it's the hunt, not the kill, that's the fun part. So, well, for me, I mean, the, the, the kill's just a byproduct of having done the other bits well. It's like the sale is a byproduct. If you've done all of the steps excellently and you've been timely, relevant, you've delivered value, you know, you've performed appropriately, then you make the sale. It's not rocket science. None of this stuff is, but we tend to overcomplicate it. Farhad, this has been a really, really interesting conversation. I've loved every minute of it. I'd love to have you back because I think there are a few people in the edtech space that I'd like to bring back on a panel, uh, if you'd be open to that. Definitely. Actually, I enjoy uh, listening to the podcast, Amazing People. Uh, nowadays, I try to find more time to listen and try to read more often. They are amazing stories. They are amazing challenges. Like, like we talked about, you don't need to redo all of this kind of stuff. And you can dedicate more time. And personally, I'm actually, the reason I felt so passionate about the film I'm working with, I 
uh, I had my teaching uh, workshop for the first time. And I, I really enjoyed that because of this connection that I could have with my students. Uh, the passion that you could see. The, the best feedback I received from one of my students was after a five-day workshop, he came to me and said that my brain hurts. I'm not used to abs absorbing this much information in just one week. And I'm telling you in a positive way and a positive feedback. And that was an amazing feedback for me. And I really now enjoy to get to be more connected with People learn from them, deliver what has happened with us. Talk about our pains. I'm not, I'm not a person that I believe that uh, everything we touch turns to success. No, <laughs> we are the company, we are the entity that we are really in a brave way. We would like to go out there and try and fail and then get up again. And that getting up is actually something very interesting. So I, I really like to talk about the times that I made bad mistakes i made horrible well, what, was your, what was your best mistake <laughs> my best mistake i don't know it's very hard to select from but <laughs> maybe the personal sacrifices maybe <laughs> i can say <laughs> that uh, i i'm really first thing that i can just cut down is that what's the best thing for me rather than in a very cruel way, I can say, sometimes we see things in a war zone that it's just, there's no tomorrow if you don't do it. Personally, I'm talking about, because I like to just dedicate as much as I can and then, then see how it goes. Yeah, why not? Excellent. Farhad, how can people get hold of you? Nowadays, people can easily get hold on anyone. They can easily type people, find them in LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. And it'd be much easier if you just gave them your uh, contact details. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Actually, everyone can visit techclass.com uh, to see what we do, what the services we provide, what are the projects we are busy with. And of course, personally, in LinkedIn, uh, and of course, my email address is farhad.techclass.fi, my Twitter account, my LinkedIn account. And hopefully with you, Marcus, we also get to hang out more often. So they also be able to hear more about the potential so. stuff that's happening. <laughs> Fahad Deftehari, thank you so much. Thanks. And I'm actually uh, happy that I've, after all of this year, someone pronounced my last name also uh, Exactly as it should be. <laughs> Four years at university paid off. <laughs> Perfect. Very thank nice you. to be here. Thanks a lot for having me and uh, looking forward to hear also more from you, your amazing uh, books and all of the publications, your posting links and everything. Very, very eye-opening. Thanks a lot for having me here. Thank you so much. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please like, comment, share, tag someone and subscribe. If you haven't yet left me a rude uh, review on Apple Podcasts, then please feel free to do so. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. My email, marcus at last.com. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.